that uh, those two verses. <coughs> again, happy fourth, everybody. Independence Day today. And again, I was just uh, thinking about that and again, how we, as a nation, of course, we celebrate our freedoms uh, as a nation. But I think so much more as Christians, we can celebrate our freedom in Jesus Christ. Uh, again, I think of John 8, 36, that the Son, therefore, shall make you free. Ye shall be free indeed. And again, in Christ, we are truly free. Again, let's just go to a quick word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this time that we can be together in your word. Thank you that your word is true from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, Lord. And that uh, we can bank on it, Lord, that your word is truth and that we can fully accept it as truth because it is from you directly. Again, we just thank you for this time. Amen. Well, again, we will be primarily in Revelation today. And again, that book, Revelation, is all the way. If, you, if, you, if you're in Genesis, you're going to turn those pages all the way to the right. <laughs> Keep on going. To the very last book of the Old Testament, Revelation. Uh, and Revelation, uh, again, can be, uh, sometimes this has always been considered as an enigma, uh, as this mysterious book full of strange sayings, uh, a lot of symbolism, a lot of powerful imagery in Revelation. Uh, but again, it is a book that holds many views, too, uh, as far as uh, believers, when they'll be what's called raptured, as far as the snatching up of believers uh, to meet Christ in the air. Uh, so a lot of views abound with this book. Uh, as far as the timing of that. Some think the timing of this is before the Great Tribulation. is a seven-year Great Tribulation. Some people think that's before that. Some people think it's in the middle of the Great Tribulation. Some think it's at the end of the Great Tribulation. So there's no uh, lack of views on, on different timings of things with Revelation as far as the believers go. Uh, but, but despite these different views, we as believers, uh, again, we can have different views in this, but again, by, by God, we are called to read Revelation. It is a book that God wants us to read. Uh, Revelation chapter 1 and verse, uh, well really, I'll start with the verse 1, again about this word, Revelation. For the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants, the things which must surely take place. And he sent and communicated by his angel to his bondservant, John. So here, Revelation, again, is revelation. It is a revealing of Jesus Christ. Uh, and God calls us to read this book. In verse 3, God says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Again, we'll be blessed by reading Revelations. I encourage you all, read Revelation. Don't be scared of it. Read Revelation. It is, it is a great book. It's all the books of the Bible are great books, inspired by God. Now, in the basic, basic form of Revelation, it can be broken down, down to about three main visions. Uh, and I'll get to that in a minute. But let's go over who humanly, now we know God ultimately wrote Revelation, but now who's the human author of Revelation? We find that as the Apostle John, he is the human author of Revelation. He's also author of the Gospel of John, as well as the three books of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. So that's the human author. Now, a little background on this book before we dig into the, uh, as far as these seven churches. Now, John has been exiled to the island of Patmos. We see this in Revelation 1, verse 9. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus, was on the island called 
Patmos. Because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, John was forcibly put there because he was preaching the Lord and uh, witnessing to people, and he was forcibly in exile in Patmos. So he's exiled there, and Patmos was a barren volcanic island in the Aegean Sea. It was 40 miles offshore from modern-day Turkey. John was not having a vacation with a little umbrella drink. So sometimes we can envision, oh, he's on an island, isn't that nice? But he, he, he was not there for a vacation. He was a prisoner there under Roman guard. He did exhausting labor. He hardly had enough food or clothing. And he slept on a bare ground. There was no kind of bed for him or anything like that. And that's a lot of strain for a 90-year-old, which he is about at this time when he's getting to write, beginning to write Revelation. You know, at this despairing place, John receives these amazing visions before God, from God, to write Revelation, the book of Revelation. Now, in Revelation chapter 1, John has seen a vision of this exalted, the exalted Lord Jesus Christ walking with him in the middle of seven golden lampstands, or some versions might say uh, candlesticks, uh, which represent the seven churches that John is commanded to write to. And I'm going to read quickly John 1, 10 through 20, about this vision he has. I, John, uh, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, verse 10, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the loud sound, like the sound of a trumpet, saying, write in a book what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Like I said, some versions might have candlesticks. And in the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like the flame of fire. Again, very interesting description, because in the Old Testament, the Lord God Almighty is described like this too, just like the Lord Jesus is described here. And his feet were like burnished bronze, when it has been caused to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in strength. And when I saw him, this is John talking now, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades, that's describing the Lord Jesus' authority, total ownership over death and of Hades, the realm of the dead. Write, therefore, the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which shall take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw at my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars, again, symbolism here, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And what he means by that, they're the seven leaders of the seven churches or pastors or elders. Those are the seven stars. And the seven lampstands, or again, the, cold, the, gold, the lamp, uh, candlesticks, are the seven churches. Okay? So again, a lot of symbolism here. But that's what they mean. Uh, now again, as we look at this, now again, this is the past vision that we've just gone over in chapter 1. This is this amazing past vision that John has just seen about the, the Lord Jesus Christ walking among these seven golden lampstands. Now John... We'll write to the seven churches, and this we'll cover in chapters 2 and 3. This is the present vision that he now is receiving to do. Then, really, we're not going to cover this, of course, today, but in chapters 4, all the way to chapter 22 of Revelation, is the future visions that John will receive involving 
the prophecy of future events that will happen in this world as we know it. Uh, and again, in 119, we just, co just covers this about these three separate visions. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, which is the past vision, and the things which are, which is the present vision, and the things which shall take place after these things, which is the future vision. Now, again, interesting to know, too, John, 95% of the time in Revelation, is told to write down things that he has shown by the Lord. There is an instance, though, in Revelation chapter 10, where it's just very interesting. He's told not to write it down. So, again, a little interesting note there. But today, we'll be focus on, focusing on the present vision that is given to John to write to these seven churches. Now, usually, people will compare our present-day churches to these seven churches. That's kind of done before. Well, okay, what's our church like to the church of Ephesus or, or whatever? But really, today, for, for our intense purposes, I want to trickle that down to us, to me, to you. Which church am I like? Which church are you like? Our God now is a God of order. I'm so thankful for that. And these letters aren't written haphazardly. They're in a, for a format, a pattern to these letters, to these seven churches. You'll find the, who the letter is addressed to when we look at these different letters. So that's the first thing, who the letter is addressed to. The author's identity, which is going to be the Lord, and, but the description of him, will be, a lot of these will be taken from chapter 1 to these letters to the churches, the description of the author, the ultimate author, Jesus Christ. And then there's a commendation or an attaboy. Okay, this is what you're doing right to whatever church that is being addressed. And then there's the concern. This is what you're doing wrong. <laughs> and then the, the, the Lord will call for a rebuke and then a repentance. Uh, what's neat to see is that uh, two out of these churches will not receive a rebuke or a, 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 a concern. But the rest that do, we do have to have a concern or uh, a call to repent the Lord is great gracious in doing that, calling these other churches to repent. Because he doesn't just wash his hands and say, oh, you're through. He, he yearns for these churches to repent, to change direction. Again, when you think of repentance, it's not only being sorry for your sin, it is changing direction. You're going one way uh, and walking in darkness, now you're turning another way, and you're walking in light. You're walking in slavery in another way, and then in the other way, you're in, in, in freedom and serving Jesus Christ. There's a repentance, a change of direction. And then there's the ending of the letter. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There's that ending, and then he who overcomes will follow, followed by a positive action, eternal reward. So this you'll constantly see in these seven letters to these seven churches. Matter of fact, I was thinking that he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. That, that's, that phrase there, it's really God saying, pay attention. The listen, this is important to these churches. I was thinking of E.F. Hutton. I don't know if many of you are old enough to remember E.F. Hutton. E.F. Hutton's like a broker or something like that. And I remember I had to YouTube it just to get a get of one of his commercials that he did. Uh, there was one where two guys are sitting in a restaurant, and the, the guys are talking. The busy, restaurant's busy. There's a lot of noise, servers around, serving food. And one guy says, okay, my broker said this, and, you know, who's your broker? And the guy says, well, my broker's E.F. Hutton. And E.F. Hutton says, and the place is dead quiet. There's dead silence. And all you can hear, see is people going like this. <laughs> they want to know what E.F. Hutton had to say. And at the end of the commercial, it's like, when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. And it's that same fervency of the Lord that, uh, you know, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit's saying to the churches. He's saying, please listen. It's important what I'm telling you to these churches. 
Stop and listen. All right, well, let's get to our first letter. Now, again, who's it to? We, we find out in chapter 2 of Revelation. Who is this letter to? To the angel of the church in Ephesus. So, again, th the angel of the church means to the leader, uh, the pastor, whatever, to this church. So this church is Ephesus. And this is who's the author? The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. Now, again, who holds the seven stars, the seven stars are the leaders of these seven churches, and the Lord holds them firmly in his right hand. He has total authority over these leaders of these churches. And again, the seven golden lampstands are these seven churches. Now, here's the commendation. We find that in verse... Uh, Verse, uh, sorry, oh, verse 2. two, two we're going to read 2 to 3, and then I'm going to skip the first uh, 6. These are the attaboys. This is what you're doing right. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot endure evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. We'll just jump to verse 6. Uh, yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So now here, there's quite a few attaboys here. There's quite a, quite a few positives for this church. The people in this church worked hard for the Lord. They did not tolerate evil men. They were sensitive to sin. They had not grown weary in the work for the, for the Lord. Now verse 6 says that they hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Well, who are they? Well, again, those are the false religion that led people into immorality and wickedness called Nicolaitanism. Now, the Lord also hated them as well, uh, the works of this people as well. So, so again, so far, very good. You know, a lot of attaboys for this church. But, okay, here's the concern. We find this in verse 4 of chapter 2. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. The service to Christ had become mechanical, became routine. And that was the Lord saw that. He saw the danger and what they were doing. It just became just uh, rhythmic. It was just they, they, they lost their heart for the Lord, and the Lord saw that. Now we find in verse 5 a call to repentance. Again, God just doesn't wash the hands, his hands of the whole thing and say, oh, forget it. He wants them to repent. Uh, verse 5, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. The Lord was going to take this church out of existence unless they repented. And then we come to the ending of the letter, uh, verse 7. He who, has an ear to he, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, and here is the, again, eternal reward, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. And again, the tree of life, that's eternal life. The paradise of God is heaven. So here God promises those who overcome will enjoy eternal life. Now again, question. Has my service to the Lord become mechanical, routine? Have you left Christ your first love? Which church am I? Which church are you? Now again, these churches, almost like a mailing route, will keep going down to these different churches. Now we come to our next church. And that will be in verse 8. Who is this church? So we'll find out in verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write. Okay, who is the author now? The first and the last, who was dead and has come to life, says this. 
again, the first and the last, that's the first and the last, that's God's eternal character. Yet here he was, Jesus is a deity as well, who was dead and has come to life. The one and the same, okay? But here he says this. Now again, uh, accommodation for this church, right? an attaboy. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Christ understood the troubles they were going through. This church was the, Smyr the church of Smyrna was a suffering church. They were going through a lot of problems, a lot of persecution. Christ understood the troubles that they were going through. This church was enduring intense persecution because of their loyalty to Christ. Many of the Smyrna believers were materially poor, but Christ saw that they were spiritually rich. Now if we look at verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. So again, mercifully, God says you're gonna, there's going to be more tribulation coming, but it's going to be a, a length of ten days. So mercifully, he tells them it's, it's not going to last forever. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So again, Lord's saying, hang in there. Hold on to your faith. So again, this church receives a good commendation. Notice too with this church uh, that there is no there's no call to rebuke for this church, this church of Smyrna. Not that they're a perfect church; they're not perfect, but they are being faithful, and they are following Christ. They're enduring the suffering, so they don't they don't receive any call to repentance or any rebuke. And then we come to the ending of the letter to Smyrna. Uh, Chapter 2, verse, the end of chapter, uh, verse 10 and through 11. Uh, again, I will give you the crown of life. And in verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. And what that is talking about, the second death is hell itself, eternal damnation. Uh, so he who overcomes will not suffer that. And that is the letter to Smyrna. Now again, uh, Am I ready to go through suffering and persecution for Christ like the church of Smyrna? Are you? Which church am I? Which church are you? All right, we're continuing on our mailing route here. We're coming down to the third church. Okay, who is this third church? We find out in verse 12 of chapter 2. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum, right, so it's the church of Pergamum. Okay, who is the author? The one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this. So here it is. The Lord, he has the, the word of God. He has this, and this is what he has to say. And now here we have accommodation for this church so far. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name. Did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. Now the believers lived in a very wicked area, this church. Where Satan's throne is, where Satan dwells, it was a really wicked area. And they did not deny their faith in Christ. So, so far, they're getting an attaboy. They're, they're getting accommodation. But now we come to a concern from the Lord. But I have a few things against you because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things, sacrifice to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. Thus, you also have some who, in the same way, hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now, you remember, just in the church of Ephesus, they hated the deeds of the, the uh, Nicolaitans, which Christ also hated. 
this church was teaching it. They were allowed teaching of the Nicolaitans. So a big difference there. So here Christ sees that, and he's concerned about it, and he rebukes them. This church had some who held to false teaching. They were comfortable with sin. They ate food, sacrificed to evil idols, and held to the teachings of the Nicolaitans, again, which the church of Ephesus did not tolerate. Pergamum loved the worldly ways. They, they were very comfortable with what was going on around with them. You can almost see, see, see them saying, oh, what's the big deal? So we're eating some food to idols. Everybody does it. Right? You can almost see them saying that. Uh, but again, Christ sees right through that, that what they're doing. Then there's the call to repentance in verse 16 of chapter 2. Repent, therefore, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Again, a lot of powerful imagery and symbolism in Revelation. What this does not mean, as far as the sword in my mouth, doesn't mean that the Lord has a sword in his mouth. <laughs> Going like this. What it is that the Lord Jesus' words are so penetrating, so powerful, that they cut through any kind of falsehood, any kind of hypocrisy. That is how sharp the Lord's word is. And we see that, matter of fact, I'm reminded of that in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, which I'll read. Again, you can just follow along if you want, but Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Again, a very interesting uh, Uh, verse, 4, 4, verse 12. Here's what it says. Again, I'm sure you've heard this before. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit and of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So again, this church is not fooling God. Uh, they, you know, they might think that, you no, know, what's the big deal of eating food, sacrifice idols? But the Lord is uh, disgusted by it, and he is calling them to repent. And then we come to the ending of the letter, and that's in verse 17 of chapter 2. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, pay attention. Listen to what I'm telling you. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. There is that eternal reward for he who overcomes. Now again, am I loving the world more than God? Are we comfortable with the ways of the world? Am I comfortable in that? Are you? Which church am I? Which church are you? We continue down our mailing route. We come to the next church. We can find this in chapter 2, verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write. So that's the church, Thyatira. Again, description of the author is coming up. The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze. So here's that description of God, that his eyes are penetrating. They can see through any kind of falsehood, any kind of deceiving or hypocrisy. God sees right through that. And burnished bronze, whose feet are like burnished bronze, that, that's a, that symbol of kingly authority that God has over these churches. And we come to the commendation now for this church in verse 19. I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. So here, the righteous deeds, God commends them for them, and that their love for God, for one another, their faith, service to help others, and perseverance were growing even stronger than at first. 
So that's, that's pretty good. It's a good attaboy. He says, that's what you're doing right. But here's the concern. And I find that in verses 20 to 23 of chapter 2. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray, so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will cast her upon a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give, each to, give to each one of you according to your deeds. Now here, this church tolerated sin. They tolerated sin in the church. They allowed a woman who called herself a prophetess to teach error in the church. Now, again, interesting fact here, though this woman named Jezebel, it was not the woman's real name, but a symbolic name given to her by Christ. Again, this is referring to an unspeakably evil woman named Jezebel in the Old Testament. If we go to 1 Kings chapter 16, we find out about this, this evil woman. Uh, 1 Kings 16, verses 30 to 31. This is what it says. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidians, and went to serve Baal and worship him. And then chapter 18, verse 4, For it came about when Jezebel destroyed the prophets of the Lord <coughs> that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and provided them with bread and water. So again, this Jezebel was an evil, evil, vile woman. And the Lord appropriated this lady's name Jezebel to this woman in the church because she was just as evil and vile. This woman in the church was leading believers astray, committing acts of immorality, eating food sacrificed to idols. Now again, there's the call to repentance. The Lord gave her time to repent, but she would not turn from her evil ways. God here is so merciful, but still the woman did not, wa the woman did not want to repent. Divine judgment will fall on Jezebel and those who follow her. Now again, when we look at uh, verse 23, it says about, and I will kill her children with pestilence. Now again, it may be her physical children, it also may be her spiritual children, those who have been uh, fooled in following her teachings. But they will receive severe judgment from the Lord if they don't repent. And now we come to verse uh, verses 24 to 25. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. In other words, the Lord's saying there's a small remnant there that are not following this woman's teaching. And the Lord's saying to them, hang in there. Keep the faith. And now we come to the ending of this letter. Verses 26 to 29. And he who overcomes, and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And here is a mouthful here. Uh, 
a lot of these verses that we've just read come from Psalm chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. And this is what it says. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as thy inheritance. Again, this is a prophetic psalm pointing to the anointed one, the Messiah. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as thy inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt shatter them like earthenware. Again, and it's that uh, theme, too, that we, too, will have authority with Christ, that the Lord, you'll see that as we read through Revelation, that the Lord is so gracious that we're not going to be groveling around in heaven like, like slaves groveling at the Lord's feet. He will allow us to reign with him. And how great is that? How amazing will that, will that be? And then we come again to the ending of that letter. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to church. And Christ is saying, listen, this is important. Okay, so again, we're moving along in our, in our mailing route here. And again, the thing is, again, before we move on, uh, one more thing to say is, do we tolerate sin in our lives, like the church of Tyra? Do you tolerate sin in your life? Which church am I? Which church are you? Come to our, our fifth church. In our fifth church, we find in chapter 3 of Revelation, in verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write. Okay, so it's the church of Sardis. Now we have the author's description. He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Ooh, strong words right there for this church. But let's get to the author. Uh, he who has the seven spirits of God. What does that mean? Well, again, that description, seven spirits of God, refers to the seven character traits of the Holy Spirit found in Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 2. So again, it's not seven Casper the Friendly Ghosts running around the throne ring like that. This is talking about the Holy Spirit. So number seven also represents the Spirit's fullness. In Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, talks about this, about the Holy Spirit and the seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. So there's that resting. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and strength. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Those are those seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit. But again, one Holy Spirit in all its fullness. Now again, pretty strong rebuke from the Lord. Uh, here we find this letter to Sardis. There is no commendation for this church. This church is just nothing going on. Uh, in verse, verses uh, 2 and 3, we'll read, Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So here, again, God saw right through them. They were spiritually dead. And then there's this concern by the Lord calling them to repent. Wake up, repent. Uh, remember, therefore, what you have received, found in verse 3, uh, and heard, and keep it, and repent. If therefore you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not, n you will not know at what hour I will come upon you. Again, his ju judgment will be unexpected to this church unless they repent. You know, things makes me think like a thief in the night. Uh, I know Barbara and me were broken into one time, and again, the utter shock of that and disbelief. It wasn't like we had written on the calendar, okay, next Monday we're going to be broken into. No, it just it happened unexpectedly. Well, again, same like this judgment to the church. It would happen unexpectedly. 
and without warning. But again, God's calling them, trying to, you know, yearning them for them to repent. Now, again, we come to verse 4 of this church, Sardis. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So here, God had not overlooked. There was a small remnant of, of believers in this church, very small, but they would be rewarded for their faithfulness, so God did not overlook them. Again, nothing escapes his eyes of fire. And now we come to the end of the letter of Sardis. Verses 5 and 6. He who overcomes, again, he is that eternal reward. Uh, Thus shall be clothed in white garments, again, in purity. And I will not erase his name from the book of life. Again, the book of life is taught throughout Revelation as the book of the elect, those chosen by, by Christ who have come to him. And again, if your name is not in the book of life, you'll be damned to eternal damnation, to eternal the lake of fire. So I will not erase his name from the book of life. This is in verse 5. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And then verse 6. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, question for us. Am I playing church? Again, this church was just like full of unbelievers playing church. Pretty much that was what it was. They were dead. Their, their works were dead. Am I playing church? Are you playing church? Which church am I? Which church are you? We come to our sixth church now. And again, our sixth church, along the mailing route here, we're moving along. Uh, who is this church? We find out in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write. So it's the church of Philadelphia. Again, who is the author? He who is holy, he who is, who is true, and who has the key of David. And that's his authority, his ownership. Who opens and no one will shut and who shuts and no one opens, says this. So here's that description of the author. And now we read eight verses 8 through 11. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut, because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie, Behold, I will make them to come and bow down at your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have in order that no one take your crown. This church, they had kept his word and not denied his name among persecution. Uh, Again, interesting verse, verse 10. Again, verse 10 uh, is believed by a lot of commentators to transcend not only this church, but all believing churches. All believers will be spared the great tribulation to come. And by God's grace, will be taken or raptured uh, before the main tribulation takes place. But again, if you were to ask people in, in this church, you'll get several different answers on that. Some believe, again, might be mid-trib, post-trib, but again, the, the common belief will be pre-trib as far as that we will not experience the great tribulation. And again, I go to 1 Thessalonians as far as that goes. This is what it says about, about the rapture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. 
and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Again, this experience here, we're meeting the Lord in the air. Christ's second coming, he is coming down to earth and setting his feet on the ground. So there's a different distinction between the rapture and the second coming. But again, the main theme of that is that all of us need to be ready for Christ's coming, his second coming. We all need to be ready, whenever that may be. But again, the, the common theme is pre-trib. But again, makes no one less than brother and sister in the Lord, just that we have different views on the timing of his coming. Now again, this church here does not receive a concern or rebuke, just like the church of Smyrna. This church uh, is being faithful. They're not denying the Lord's name. They're not going to receive a rebuke or any kind of concern like that or a call to repentance. Now we come to the ending of the letter for this church in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 3. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. And again, that new Jerusalem, we talk about, that's talked about later in, uh, uh, in Revelation, where it talks about as, as a bride coming down out of heaven, the new Jerusalem. And then verse 13 is the final. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, now again, will I be faithful like this church, Philadelphia? Will you be faithful until the end like this church? Which church am I? Which church are you? And now we come to our last church, believe it or not. Here we're moving along in our mailing route. We come to our last church. We find now, who is this uh, last church? We find that in verse 14 of chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, again, who is the author? The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this. And again, that, that term, the, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, again, that's just, that's what, says, what God says, you can bank on it, you can trust in what he says. He is the faithful and true witness. So that's the description of the author. Uh, and again, we'll look at verses 15 to 17. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. We'll stop there. Again, Christ rebukes them. There's no commendation or attaboys for this church at all. Uh, Christ just tells them like it is. Christ rebukes them for their deeds. They were not saved, but they did not openly reject Christ either. They were lukewarm. Again, a, a question comes to mind. On a hot, humid summer day, does anybody ever drink water like out of a water fountain? How's that taste? It tastes disgusting, <laughs> right? There's no refreshment from it at all. It's, it's just useless. This church thought that they were doing just fine. Thank you very much. They thought, hey, we're doing good. We're fine. Look at us. You know, we're rich. We're, we're moving along. But Christ saw through that. And he's got that flaming eyes of fire. Nothing escapes his gaze. And he says, you guys are blind. You're poor. You're naked. He, he rebukes them. And then, but again, God is so gracious, he calls for repentance. Uh, verses 18 to 20 of chapter 3. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire, that you may become rich, and white garments that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and eye salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. 
those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. And Christ graciously offers them genuine salvation through him. He is knocking on their heart's door. And then we come to the ending of the letter to the church of Laodicea, verses 21 to 22 of chapter 3. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Again, it's that sharing of the reign of Christ that he'll graciously, not that we deserve it, but he'll graciously allow us to reign with him. And in verse 22, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And God's saying, listen up, this is important. Uh, and again, uh, the question goes, am I lukewarm in Christ's eyes? Are you lukewarm in Christ's eyes? Which church am I? Which church are you? Now again, repentance. Christ calls for these churches, these five churches out of the seven, to repent. Is he calling to you to repent today? Again, it's that change of direction. You're going one way, boom, now you're going to go the other way, the opposite direction. We were walking in darkness, now we're going to walk in light. We were enslaved to sin. Now we're going to be free in serving Christ. There is nothing that escapes his gaze. You remember the Lord's gaze. Again, there may be some right here who are lukewarm in, in his sight. Uh, but again, is the Lord knocking? You think of that. Is the Lord knocking on your door today to come in? And again, that, that term coming into dining with, that's an intimate relationship that the Lord wants to have with you. It's not something that's superficial. It's intimate. The Lord desires to have an intimate relationship with us. Again, may we be like the church, churches of Smyrna and Philadelphia. Are we willing to suffer like they did and be faithful to the end until Christ calls us home? Let's uh, go to prayer. Lord, thank you for this time, Lord. For your word. Your word is truth, Lord. We thank you for it. Lord, I pray for us, Lord, who are believers, Lord. May we be faithful, Lord, as the church of Smyrna and of Philadelphia, Lord, where they did not deny your faith, Lord. May we not deny you in times of trial and persecution. May we be faithful, Lord, till we either have a physical death or you come for us, Lord, that we'll be faithful. Uh, Lord, maybe some of us as believers are struggling, Lord. We can identify with these other five churches, Lord. Uh, Maybe we have lost our first love. Maybe our routine has become, our, our services have become mechanical or that what we're doing is, is just not real anymore to us. Lord, again, I pray that whether we have lost our sight of our first love or whether we're comfortable with worldly ways or tolerating sin in our lives, that again, you call us to repent, Lord, to change direction. And may, by your power, we do that today. And Lord, may there's some here, Lord, that don't know you at all. And again, may this be a time of, of warning at a time where Christ is graciously knocking. He is knocking on the door of your hearts to come in. And Lord, again, it's no magical words. I pray if someone here, Lord, they just simply say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I surrender my life to you, for you to use, Lord. I give you all of it. And again, how Christ, Christ will graciously use you and use your life for him. So again, we thank you for this time in your word, Lord. And again, may we live for you this day. Thank you for this day of independence that we can be free in serving you. Amen.